Hello and welcome to the Chainsaw Buffet Podcast, the podcast that's 50% more absorbent than the leading brands. Thank God for that. Um, I'm John. I am joined, as always, by my fellow uh, podcasting slumlords. We have Chad. Hello. Charlie. Woohoo. Dylan. Hello. All right. We made it through there really fast this time. I'm glad. <laughs> We're getting better. Yay. Um, so Less incompetent. Literally, you know, minutes ago, uh, Dylan rolled in from AWA. Uh, Charlie was also at Anime Week in Atlanta. Uh, what do you got? I, I know you guys are going to be doing some stuff with Basil, but uh, just tell us a little bit about how it was. Go, Dylan, go. Um, it seemed to be a lot, well, somewhat bigger than last year because, uh, as Charlie will attest, and I think Charlie is actually chronicled all of the cases where this happened there were a lot of full panels that we walked tried to walk into and couldn't get into um this seems utterly bizarre to me because having gone to awa for a number of years i've never once had a problem getting into a panel even the larger ones i vaguely remember some of this happening last time um I, i and I think part of the problem is they've got a lot of panel rooms that are kind of small. And, and early on in the, in the con, I thought, well, they're just not like scheduling the panel rooms right. These need to be in the ballrooms. And then it happened several times and we realized, oh, it's not just the panels we're, you know, like we're that are first on our list. Um, it's like all the pan or a lot, not all the panels, but a lot of panels. What were these, what were these panels like? Because were, were they noticeably different in terms of content or presenters as opposed to last year? Because I'm oh, still trying to wrap my, my I mind. I just think it's the number of people there. I, I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what the, um, attendance numbers, attendance numbers look like. Yeah. Was, yeah. was there maybe a particular guest that brought a lot of people or... May maybe Chris Sabat. Possibly, I don't know. I, like, see, I, you know, with all due respect, you know, I I like Christopher Sabat. He's done a lot of great work, but I don't know if I put him in the category of people that might, you know, bring a whole bunch of people to a convention. Although it is his first time in this area, so I I don't yeah. think there I don't think there would necessarily be a single reason in the no, sense that not. like in the sense that I think people who would go for a guest. Are probably not the same people who would go to, you know, like yeah. pack, um, you know, the Japanese snack panel and Ghosts of Japan, and I can't well, remember all the other ones. And 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 what we may be seeing is a similar effect uh, because we know that from last year to this year, for instance, MomoCon grew forty some odd percent. We know that SeishinCon grew. I almost want to think a similar ratio, like 30-40% over the previous year, and it, it it may just be that, that AWA is experiencing some of that same growth. I'm curious to know what the... Because Momocon and SessionCon are newer conventions, so it's expected that they have some level of growth as you know they go from year to year, because as you go from year to year... Um, you get better at doing it because you're you're used to the process. You know, you know what to expect, and you know the people at the top and the bottom. You know, start to improve with experience, and you know as you grow, you get more money. So it's one of those. 
you know, there's there's rapid growth and then you kind of plateau a little bit. Um, but AWA has been going on for years and years and years. So I'm a little curious as to what their growth uh, is corresponding to. If it's, you know, new fans um, or... You Keep know, in mind at this point, this is all speculation. This is the first thing we notice. This is not like us going... Yeah. Oh yeah, now we've had a chance to kind of think about the experience. It was just, wow, this seemed to happen a lot. Um, they were all good panels, and they were panels that I am really glad filled up. Um, they were not yeah. the, the they were not these sort of panels that uh, we've talked about before that that, that fill up uh, conventions and really don't deserve it. Fan, fan panels mm-hmm. and will you say this sort of voice? I, actually, that's that's a story <laughs> for Charlie to tell, but. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I think I know what you're getting at, Charlie. You sent me a text about this, but please enlighten me as to what happened. It was like, I, because I, I make it very clear, I generally do not go to voice acting panels because 90% of the questions are a variation of how do you do what you do? How can I do what you do? And can you say long X and voice Y? <laughs> and and I, I, and I'm sure that the, the, voice actors are far more tired of it than even I am, but I, I just, it just, it's, I, I can't face palm that many times in a convention without possibly doing myself some damage, so <laughs> I just avoid them, but I was like, okay, Christopher Sabat, I've never seen him, um, don't know if I'll get a chance to go to any of his panels, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to come in, and I came in very close to the end, maybe at least halfway through, maybe a little further, and as I walked in, the person asking the question was essentially, hey, can you do the over 9,000 bit? <laughs> and Sabbath totally trolled him. It was awesome because, like, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then the part, like, he's, he's like, okay, and, and, and you can do, you're going you're gonna to do this with me. And what he launches into is Napa's lines <laughs> instead of Vegeta's. And the guy's like, no, no, no. And, the, and he tries to do it again. And I think it was he's doing, he was doing Napa's line again, but trying to do it better. And <laughs> he kept like, he kept screwing it up. And it was so beautiful because at one point the guy's like, no, no, no. And, and, and said, it says something to the effect of, well, uh, no, I, I tried it that way, and, and, and you didn't like it, so I tried it, you know, I, I did this, because I thought that's what you're asking, and, and you didn't like it, and I, I'm, I'm just trying to answer your question. I, you know, <laughs> it, I mean, because it wasn't just that he was trolling, but it was the level to which <laughs> he did it. it. I mean, it was, <laughs> that, that is not amateur. That is not amateur. I, I have to imagine that over the years, um... It's something that has come with practice, and uh, I I wonder if maybe people you know in maybe the Texas area where he's from kind of know not to do it. Um, yeah. If he's maybe conditioned them over the years, but like I said, I can't think of a time that he's been in our area of the country. I can't think of any time he's been to like AWA or MTAC or anything like that. At least in recent years. Um, nor I. So, so may, maybe you know, maybe there there was some fresh meat in the crowd, and he's like, so. "All right, I get to break this out again." 
And I did, I did make a point. I do like to think that, that is the case, actually. But um, I did make a point of when I got to get a picture with him. I said, "I'm a big fan of your work, but in particular, the stories that other voice actors tell about you." <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, I am, I am really, really, really hoping we can get him on the podcast at some point because I, I, I just think he is tremendous so <laughs> i i would like that as well um but we'll see how that goes um we'll yeah. we'll we'll send out some feelers and see what we can do that would uh, be great i also yeah, think can. maybe uh maybe we should also discuss briefly that we have uh come up with a theory that every podcaster has a doppelganger this is true this is true uh now are you referring <clears throat> more to the uh the false basil John? Well, the not just, there's the well. There's a couple different theories. There's the false basil, but in fact, <laughs> there's oh, mirror well, universe. Uh, Daryl Surratt. Yes, there is. There is <laughs> okay. The, uh, there is a faux Daryl because I was in line for for Christopher Sabat, and there was a guy one line down or one row over from me, and I'm looking at him like, this guy looks like Daryl Surratt. Is this Daryl Surratt? I'm like I don't remember Daryl Surratt having a beard. Is this Daryl Surratt? And I keep looking. I keep looking. I'm trying not to be creepy, and. Eventually, I get close enough to him that I can read his name tag. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. So I, I, I am starting to think that, that there are a number of copies out there. But And it should be noted that the, that the false basil at one point was sporting a Hamacon t-shirt. Wow. There's also so, a false Dylan. Well, a false Dylan, to be fair, there are many copies of Dylan because he's a Cylon. But that's no, a this was, story. But there was but there is one copy that obviously went wrong in the uh, manufacturing <laughs> phase because he, he ended is up a in huge, He is a huge brony fan. He's a huge pony fan, but he just doesn't understand why there is not gore and violence in My Little Pony. You know, okay, this this was not a person at all. This that's was in, I've been wondering myself. This was in AWO's Panel of Doom. They showed this clip from off of YouTube, and I don't remember what the guy said because he was he was he was saying all this, and I kept, just kept thinking, I quit saying that with my face. <laughs> Dylan is uh, is Nicolas Cage in Face Off. Oh, I wish I was Nicolas Cage. I mean, wouldn't being the greatest actor ever be just amazing? It would be amazing to be Sam Waterston. I agree. Um, <laughs> so. Wait, wait, going back to the anti-basil. So he had anti-basil. So he had a, uh, he had a beer. You know, I imagine that anti, if anti-basil's name was basil, he would call it, he would pronounce it basil. <laughs> I agree. Would be, would. That's not how basil but No, I think seems. the anti, the anti-basil is probably different from the false basil. Because the anti-basil would be everything that basil is not. Whereas the false basil is trying to be everything that basil is. But it's failing miserably by being a creeper. Yes. So it, there's a rich oh. mythology here. Or there's that... also the uh, anti the the mirror universe. Daryl Surratt has a beard. Yes, he does that have a beard. Sense. So and Alan Tudyk. Uh, just, just, I was about to say, just like uh, evil Alan Tudyk has a beard. By I evil don't. Alan Tudyk, I mean Chad. I, I for for the people at home. I, I am not. I am not kidding when I say that Chad and uh, Alan Tudyk of uh, Firefly fame look exactly the same. And if you were to look at pictures of them both, you'd be like, 
okay, he, you know, they look kind of similar, but it's not exact. No, if you saw them in person, because the time I saw um, Alan Tudyk at Dragon Con, I was like, wait, when did Chad get here? They have the same facial tics. They have the same mannerisms. The only difference is that Alan Tudyk is the nicest guy on the on the planet Earth, Aww. and Chad is Chad. We we need to we, we need to work on <laughs> making a, our podcast cruelty free, guys. There's Tito a, will never a, endorse us. Thank God. That's a good fuck. Those, fuck that bunch of hippies. I kid. I kid. Sort of. Kind of. Um. But Ma- yeah. maybe maybe you can join PETA. Join me for what? Are we really doing this? Anyway. Um, did you guys have anything else from my video that you want to talk about, or are you going to save the rest of it for AwesomeCast? I, um, well, we, we will probably cross-post it, but uh, being that I just literally drove in, I probably don't... It, it may be fresh on my mind, but I have not sorted through everything yeah. to I, bring you the choicest bits. I, th- I would give you my overall impression of the convention... Which right now, and maybe I'll be nicer about it later, <laughs> but I'm going to try to be even-handed here and say that for once, for the first time in since they started the Super Happy Fun Sale, which was a few years ago, it seemed like they were trying a few new things, but there were a number of problems along the way, and... That, along with a price hike, it, it's even if they fix the even if they say they're going to fix the problems, it doesn't necessarily mean that that I will be able to attend next year. So, are are did they hike the price from last year to this year, or are they hiking the price from this year to next year? From uh, whichever whichever one, because <laughs> well, because last year I pre-regged because I I I prefer to pre-reg at the show, and even when we were getting the press badges. I still pre-regged, you know, just in case something happened, you know, just in case we stopped doing the podcast or just in case there was some sort of snafu, um, you know, I, I would always pre-regged. And I always pre-regged $20 at the, at, at this, con- at this would, you know, this convention for the next convention. And I was like, oh, we need to go pre-regged. And I went over there and it was $35. Damn. Yeah. So what, 75%? price increase from the previous year it's like if it had been five bucks i would not have thought twice about it um but I, when i saw 35 i was like i put the form back down it's like you know what i'm gonna think about this uh, I, I did pre-register just because i'm like uh there's we're gonna go we're gonna go i'm sure there'll be several of us that do whether i do or not we'll see um because the ho- I mean, and the, and this isn't the conventions deal, but the hotel, depending on how you split it, can be kind of pricey. So if we're talking at this point, what could possibly be two hundred bucks, essentially just to go and get in, you know, not food, not anything you want to purchase. Um, and if they're going to have the problem of the panels I want to go to, I can't get into, then it it I'm essentially paying for a dealer's room in Artist Alley, and if that's the case, I would just about as soon use that money to go to another large convention where at least it'll be a whole a whole new set of stuff. Um, I, I might suggest throwing your support behind Momocon, but that's that's just me. I'm doing that anyway though. Hi Jess if you're listening. I'll I'll definitely be going to it regardless. Um, 
someone, I won't say who because they actually work for a convention, uh, a different convention, did suggest looking into animazement in North Carolina. Uh, he said that that was, he was actually, he said he went when he was really burning out on going to conventions to do, you know, promo work. Um, and he found himself to, he was pissed a little bit, you know, burnt out and pissed about it all the way up until he got there, but he, and then really enjoyed himself. So that's, I, I may start putting together a list over the next year of, of alternate conventions, but yeah. For me, I guess it, it, it depends on where everyone else ends up landing as far as Awa and everything else. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a group that goes, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy all on the whole usually, but this this year was disappointing on a number of levels. So, I, I think part of that too is that we go to so many really good conventions that yeah, and part of it too is we know a lot of the people. Yeah, that, yeah. So. Well, I but, think that's part of it though. I mean, if if people from the convention are personable and and make themselves available and build relationships. You know that's that's part at, of the experience. I, think I, I that, should I should throw out at typically at other cons. Well, obviously con, because like, yeah. yeah, the con you're running, um, <laughs> it, it's not really practical. No, but you know I I can't say that I know anybody from Anime Week in Atlanta, and that is in stark contrast to almost every other convention we go to. So yeah, but. I, so I, I'm giving them a mixed review because, like I said, it was disappointing on a number of levels for me. But at the same time, you know, I saw that they that they seem to be trying some new stuff, which really they hadn't. It, it hasn't felt like they've tried in a few, to do anything. Major, I, I think I would say major stuff. I'm sure behind the scenes, and you know, there's try there's some small stuff like the the um, early start and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm assuming so, you're talking about like large scale what schedule level different like new things. Wait, say that again. I think I I think it dropped out for a second. I'm assuming you're talking about like large scale new things. No, not necessarily large scale, but I mean like little things like I don't recall them having like the Tyco drummers in the registration room to like play while people were waiting in line to to Yeah, that's true. I mean, there there were other, and I can't recall all of them offhand. But and and they had some some different programming options than what I was used to. Um, so I mean, it seemed like like they were gonna that there were some policy changes and some programming changes, and and maybe they're trying to shake it up and do some some new stuff. So I'll give them credit for trying. We'll see if it actually pans out and improves anything, but. So it's not it's not like all bad. I'm I'm happy to see them, you know, trying. Uh, all right. Uh, so anything else from AWA or are we moving on? Yeah, we move on. We can save it for for uh, when we get okay the, the larger group together. Okay. Well, in that case, um, a few things to talk about. Not a especially busy week in terms of news, as far as you know geek-related stuff. Um, one thing I did want to talk about um, to start out is uh, a lot of people may have heard uh, EA uh, and the NCAA were sued by student-athletes from all over the country 
um, for using their likenesses in EA's video game without their permission or without compensation. Now, the reason that uh, they were able to do this for so many years, and EA's been making these college football games for years and years now with the NCAA's uh, licensing and permission, is that the NCAA prohibits um, student-athletes from making money um, while they're playing for their universities. Um, but the NCAA can make money hand over fist off, off of these kids. And this has led to all kinds of complicated discussion. Um, but um, several student-athletes uh, eventually filed a class action lawsuit against EA, um, which uh, they eventually ended up settling out of court. Um, and in addition to this, EA is no longer going to be producing a, a college football game going forward, at least for the foreseeable future. They said they're reevaluating, um, yeah. the future of the franchise, whatever that means. Um, because they, they lost, um, that they, they are no longer partnered with the NCAA. They were just going to go ahead with the collegiate license, uh, basically mm. the license for the school and not have the NCAA logo or any of the things. I, I assume bowl games or things like that are under the NCAA's license. Um, but, you know, they'd still have all the, all the college names and all that, and they were just going to call it something else. Yeah. Um, like college football 2015 or something, you know, equally uncreative. Um, <laughs> but then the college football licensing organization backed out of that agreement as well after the lawsuit. And so now... They don't have either of those partnerships, and even if they wanted to go forward with something, they can't. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I may um, do a segment on this um, for my thing of the week next week, um, going into some of the other details. But um, I do think it's it's rather telling um, that EA was willing to sell it so quickly. I think they sold it for $40 million or something like that. It mm -hmm. wasn't a lot, especially considering how many claimants were involved in that class action lawsuit. Um, you know, I think it averaged out to like three or $400 a student. Um, although I imagine some of them, probably the ones that were on the cover, you know, people like Tim Tebow or Denard Robinson were on recent covers, things like that, uh, may end up getting more. Hmm. Um... But just just a very bizarre thing. Um, one of the major parts of the discussion overall, as far as student athletes receiving payment for things, because this was a story um, a couple of months ago, because one high profile uh, athlete for Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel, was accused of making money from signing autographs, which again is a no no. You can't do anything that you know makes you money because you play a sport. Um, but, you know, people are saying, you know, shouldn't, you know, these, these programs nationwide generate billions of dollars. Shouldn't these student athletes, since they're part of the machine that makes all this money, be getting something back from, you know, the schools and the, in the NCAA and other people say no, because, you know, when you start paying athletes, um, it changes the nature of recruiting and things like that, even though, uh, I'm going to lay a little truth on everybody who's not into college football. Uh, these student athletes get paid under the table all the time at big programs. So it's already affecting how recruiting works. And by the way, uh, the university of Tennessee also does that. Um, anyway, um, it'll be interesting to see how that, 
uh, affect CA going forward, if at all. I mean, um, they they didn't make an uh, an NBA game for a few years because they had such shitty QA on one of them. So I don't I don't mm. know if it'll affect them financially in a significant way or not. But it's interesting, uh, nonetheless. And I'm I. I I have not followed it. I do remember now that you described it. I remember briefly hearing about it, but I mean, it, I, I don't know. It almost seems, and again, I may be completely misreading it, that the problem isn't so much with EA as it was with the NCAA, as far as like EA bought a license from NCAA. I would assume under the full faith that well, you know, NCAA is doing their right stuff, so we're paying them for this. Well, so, yes. I mean, it seems like it's more the NCAA's issue that they've been screwing over athletes than EA's problem if they were working in good faith. Well, it is, but you can't stick... Uh, again, like I said, Tim Tebow's on the cover of the game, and even when he was at Florida before he became a, a pro athlete, he was a very well-known figure. So he, mm-hmm. he, you know, you put him on the cover of a college football game, he's going to sell copies for you. But he gets he has no say in over whether or not his likeness was used on the cover of that game and gets no revenue from, you know, the millions of dollars that the game franchise brings in annually. Yeah. Um, on top of that, students have their, you know, the, their names are not in the game because there are so many college athletes that it's impractical to do. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since they put like all 100 something NCAA colleges into the game and some of the division two schools, I think, or at least they used to. Um, but you know they did use their height, their weight, their skin color, their skin color. You know, again, yeah. their general likeness, if not you know the athletes themselves uh, in some cases. So even if it's impermissible for them to receive money under NCAA rules, it still doesn't mean that EA can use their likeness without permission or any sort of compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a big part of the problem. Um, okay. So there there is a little bit of wrongdoing on the EA's part, um, but yeah, the the core of the problem does exist with the NCAA, and I don't know that I necessarily have a problem with student athletes getting money uh, from this revenue, but I kind of like to see it based more on need because there are uh, a lot of college athletes who. You know, sports is their only way to get into college, and that's yeah. their only chance at continuing their education, although the reality of that is somewhat laughable to anyone who's ever, you know, seen a, an, an athlete, you know, skip classes and somehow make better grades than you. Yeah. Um, and you bring up a good point of, like, because I, I, cause I, I, see, I, I see the same issues, the same moral issue of, you know, if you pay them, blah, blah, blah. Um but at the same time, you also bring up the point that it is happening. So it seems like what you end up with is since there's not since since they're being paid under the table and it's unofficial, you don't have a system to regulate that. So you end up with situations where the people that are the, the players that are benefiting are just the best players and other players aren't you know because there's no system to to do percentage or say well based on how well you did you get a percentage you know there yeah that that you end up with this weird situation where the ones that the colleges really want 
could be possibly under the table making quite a bit of money and then people that are performing but weren't these like tremendous gets um well, that's what happened be. with uh cam newton he's uh the current quarterback for the carolina panthers mm -hmm. but he hopped around schools for a while before his senior year um, because of various legal and off the field issues um, but he ended up playing his senior year at Auburn in that year they won the national championship. But after they won the national championship, it was discovered that um, the school had paid Cam Newton's father, and allegedly Cam Newton knew nothing about this, which I don't believe at all, and I refuse to spell Cam Newton's name without a dollar sign in front of it. Um, but um, they paid him uh, quite a substantial amount of money, and that's kind of the the problem overall. Um, if there was a way that um, students could could make money, like I said, based on need, um, because there there are plenty of student athletes who play quarterback for major colleges, and their dads are rich, or you know maybe they played football too. Um, Peyton Manning was was a famous example. Uh, Johnny Manziel, who I mentioned earlier, his dad's like, uh, I, I remember he, I don't remember if it's oil or if I just assume they live in Texas, so it's oil. <laughs> um, but he's rich, so I would, I wouldn't want to see him making money. Like he doesn't need it, but you know, somebody who comes from a poor background, and not just him, but other students at that school, because like I said, there are billions of dollars generated amongst all these schools. Where is the money going? I know a lot of it's going to these coaches. You know, they're getting paid four, five, six million dollars a year. Which is insane. Which is insane. But I don't see it being spent on facilities that aren't related to athletics. I don't see it being spent, you know, on scholarships to give more people an opportunity to go to college. Because, let's be honest, college degrees are more like high school degrees now, you know, as far as what they're worth in, oh, in yeah. the workforce. So, you know. I wouldn't mind seeing more people have the opportunity to uh, to have a secondary education without having to go into poverty because that's a big societal problem that we have anyway because by the time you go even just for a bachelor's degree, which like I said has diminished value, you're in the hole, you know, five figures. And then if you want to do a master's or a doctorate on top of that, you know, just keep piling, piling on the debt. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's not even to mention all the schools that don't bring in rev or all the all the sports that don't bring in revenue like you know like women's track or something like that you know don't they deserve money too so it's a sticky issue oh yeah um anyway uh moving on uh valve made a couple of announcements this week um i will uh go on record as saying i am ambivalent about pc gaming um to it, it's not for me because the type of games that i like to play are not usually not available for pc which you know the type of games i tend to play tend to be developed by japanese companies let's just be honest you know i like you know fighting games and action games and jrpgs and things like that and those usually don't make it on to pc for whatever reason you know capcom doesn't put a lot of pc games out um atlas doesn't put any out you know it's, so um but they were interesting they they announced their own operating system which may be a prelude to their own uh hardware device well oh, what wow. they what they said was not 
I think they're building a prototype of their own hardware device that's going to be sent out to beta testers. Right. But it's going to be it's going to act as basically kind of a guideline for other companies. The impression I got from what I read, and I, I didn't read too d deeply about it, was that they're going to be working with other hardware manufacturers to build kind of an array of products, you know, from low end to high end, from configurable to, um, you know, kind of what out of the box. Um, hmm. So I, I think I think they're preventing they're trying to prevent themselves from being locked down. You know, they're they're kind of playing off the strength of PC of, of the PC as a platform by preventing themselves from being locked down into any one configuration, which is both good and bad. Um, as, for example, um, you know, what happens when you create a an optional hardware component like the Kinect? Well, people don't use it because, you know, it's not going to be there. Right. But if you require the Kinect, then it raises the co cost of everything, so... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it is them taking a swing at Sony and Microsoft, and it could lead to good developments for PC gaming, depending on how people respond to it and how developers target it. Because SteamOS is Linux, and they've been working with a lot of developers to support Linux, from hmm. what I understand, but... That doesn't mean everyone will do it until, you know, SteamOS seems like a viable, you know, important channel for selling games. Well, Dylan, you mentioned, you know, Valve trying to compete with uh, Sony and Microsoft. And I was having this conversation with Nathan, um, and he was talking about, you know, Steam kind of wanting to, it, Valve kind of wanting, wanting to make Steam this incorporated, you know, living room, PC, you know, kind of everywhere device that you're using all the time, even if you're not playing games on it. Yeah. And I feel that that puts them more in competition with Microsoft than it does with Sony, because... Um, yes and no, because... So, well, it's Microsoft very obviously wants to be that device. Oh, um, yeah. You know, that's... That's why they, you know, it took them 45 minutes to talk about a video game when they announced the Xbox One because it was all TV, TV, TV. Um, you know, they want to be that center device that you're always using even when you're not playing games on it. And Sony has, you know, they tried to do that with the PS3 and they said, you know what, that didn't work very well for us. Let's back off and be a little bit more specialized in what we do. You know, it's like we have these social aspects, we're going to have some of these elements, but we're not going to focus on being you know, the the everything device. We're going to focus on being the best gaming device. Not knowing details, I suspect they are going, they're not going to chase that too hard because, I mean, SteamOS is built off of Linux. There's, I, I don't know any details about it, but I would assume there's a lot of resources there for building, you know, audio, video, whatever capabilities. But my guess is they're not going to chase it as hard. That said... A lot of that probably really depends on hardware manufacturers. Well, it, it also depends on exactly how much, on exactly what what they mean by it 
it's Linux. Some versions are very pared down. I mean, but but on the other hand, if it if it's something resembling a full distro of Linux, you can just install something like Myth TV, and you've got a a multi multimedia box right there. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's already there for Linux, but it just depends on how, on exactly what they've included and what they haven't, and how locked down it is. Yeah, well, the idea is that you could install this on your own PC. So yeah, but the question is, what what do they have set up as far as expanding it after that? I don't know, and my guess is that's going to be beyond the range of. Uh, it's probably not going to be easy, but my guess is they they aren't looking to be the whole home entertainment system. Like at this stage, they just want inroads into the living room. Because uh, that's another, it's kind of another way they can expand their market. Um, on on the Valve front, uh, Nathan sent an email in our planning chain. Um, and shout out to Nathan, who never is on the podcast, but God bless him, we love him anyway. Um, sent me the link to the Steam controller. And, he, you know, he wanted to know everyone's thoughts, and he wanted to know mine in particular, since, you know, I kind of live and die by controller feel and layout and have, you know, my own range of opinions on every controller from, you know, like the 360 controller, the PS3 controller, and various fight sticks and things like that. Um, and the Steam controller... Oh my god, the Steam controller. Yeah... <laughs> um, here, here's, I, I'm going to try and lay this out as best I can for everyone who's listening. If you're a fan of Steam, and Steam is your primary gaming platform, and you enjoy the types of games that are on Steam, you're probably going to love the Steam controller. Um, if you are like me, I think you may and be making assumptions of what type of games are on Steam. I am not. There are all um, types of games. I have played that, that, Japanese no, games no, on Steam. No, no, no. You have played Japanese independent games on Steam. You have not played Ninja Gaiden on Steam. You have not played Marvel on I've Steam. I've played Dark Souls. Dark Souls does not count. Dark Souls is, is not Ninja Gaiden. They're both hard. They have Street Fighter versus Tekken. <sighs> Dylan, if... Like so, somebody who's into fighting games is laughing their ass off right now, um, because Street Fighter Cross Second was not uh, embraced by the community. But they, yeah, they have a they have Street Fighter Four, they have Street Fighter Cross Second, and they have King of Fighters. But that that is not, you know, that that is not the bulk of fighting games. They don't have Tekken. They don't have Soul Calibur. They don't. And most importantly, they don't have Marvel. Posts, but I, uh, I would not because you know you don't understand. It, it's it's one of those. Okay, I can play Street Fighter, but I can't play Marvel. Well, you know what good that is to me, Dylan? Not a damn fucking bit of good. Okay, well, I'm not saying that it will be your sole platform, but saying it has no value or suggesting it has. I what I'm suggesting, Dylan is a fact that the people that play on Steam are primarily into first-person shooters and real-time strategy games and other games that tend to thrive on PC as a platform. They do not play, you know, Japanese uh, action platformers. They don't play fighting games for the most part. There are people that enjoy those games, and that's incidental, and they're like, oh, that game's on, on Steam. Awesome, I'm going to go buy it. But if they're into those genres... 
primarily they have to play on the console. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that this controller is not designed for the type of games I like to play. It is not designed for fighting games. It is not designed for a Ninja Gaiden style of game. It is designed for a first-person shooter or anything where you want to be able to use a mouse and keyboard without using a mouse and keyboard. Hmm. Because it has, you know, these these trackpad controllers so you, you can use one as like a mouse. And, you know, there, there are no face buttons. Um, there are buttons like closer to the center of the controller, but I don't know how usable they, they are because it seems like if you held it like a regular controller with your thumbs on the two... Um, on the two trackpads, you'd have a very difficult time using any of the four buttons in the center because it would require you to take your thumbs off of the off of the left, which you know, unless you're you know left-handed, something would be your directional controls um, to use them, or off of your action buttons, which would be more towards where the right trackpad is. Well, yeah. uh, I think based on what you said, like this is really a it's for certain types of games, like the types of games I've played on Steam. This would not work for. This would not work for like Dust and Elysian Tale. I'm trying to think of some other games I've played with a controller on that. Um, but I, I think it is kind of like a first-person shooter, possibly certain third-person 3D types of games. But what I'm what I'm assuming, and this is complete speculation, <clears throat> that this is sort of an option. They're not staking. Um, anything on this. It's just like, hey, if developers want to kind of build for this, if players want to to use this, it's something that you can't get on, uh, you know, Sony or Microsoft. It, it's a way to differentiate themselves moving into the living room or moving into the set-top from the other consoles. But it's not like Nintendo where, ah, well, if you don't like motion controls, well, too bad. Too bad. So, um, I mean, they, they do, on, on their page, they say, hey, if you're happy with mouse and keyboard, then that's great. They don't say anything about, I don't, I don't think they said anything about other controllers, but, you know, my guess is the Steam, or Steam OS will contain, like, the drivers for using at least, like, a wired 360 controller, if not, like, a wireless adapter or, you know, a Bluetooth controller. Um, right. I think they would be crazy not to, and I also think that's a huge selling point, you know, compared to the other consoles. Like, you know, hey, you know, you can use whatever you want. You can use your existing equipment. Yeah. What What I said was, this is the fight stick of first-person shooter controllers. Yeah. Like, oh. like you do not want to use a fight stick to play. You know, again, I'll go back to the example, you know, like Devil May Cry or Ninja Gaiden or a third-person action game. It doesn't work. You know, you, you have to be able to adjust the camera and you've got the one stick that you use for everything and, and the eight buttons on the face. It doesn't work for every type of game. And the Steam controller, likewise, does not work for every type of game. If you're somebody who, like I said, is really into Steam, you're probably really into this controller, and that's fine. But if you are... If you're interested range a little bit more towards the console side of things and the games that tend to flourish on there, you're probably not going to, you know, th this probably won't be something that you're going to be uh, 
waiting in line for. I, I think you're making assumptions on what the the type of the stereotypical Steam gamer is. I uh, do. Think I I assure you, I am not. But go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm someone who plays Steam, and you generally don't. So that I I understand, but <laughs> we we just went over this discussion, Dylan. What? They. It, yeah, it doesn't have fighting games. What, what it doesn't have fighting games. It doesn't have games from Japan in general, with you know, like rare exceptions from like smaller developers that can't publish their games on a console. Dylan, yeah. what he's saying is you're not normal. Okay, but anyway, my point is, I I could kind of see it being the thing if it is truly like the first person shooter, you know, fight stick. Then you know, if you're the kind of guy who buys the latest Call of Duty when it comes out, so you can play with all your friends then that might be a reason to go, maybe I will consider the PC version because look what I can use. Um, you know, there, it seems like it's a shot at that market, um, the market where they're least likely to convert people from well, consoles. It, it's one of those things where if you are a hardcore first-person shooter player, you're probably already playing on PC, like if you're that hardcore, because... Uh, somebody followed me that was like, hey, uh, let me take care of your, your podcast hosting stuff. And I'm, I immediately blocked him after looking at his tweets to see if he was a spam bot. And one of his tweets was, uh, if you're not using a mouse and keyboard to play uh, first-person shooters, you're doing it wrong. So, you know, there's there's those type of people. And maybe this is aimed at them as like an alternative to that. But I don't know if they're... I suspect a lot I don't know if they're pulling in like the Xbox 360 bro dudes. I, and dude, and dude birds. I, I, I suspect that the people who are hardcore mouse and keyboard are looking at this and raging, but then they tend to do that with, you know, people who feel that strongly about anything tend to just rage when they see anything that is not the thing they love, so... That, I, don't know, I don't know if anyone's really been mad at Valve since Left 4 Dead 2. Uh, Wait, I, I don't know, mad I... Because it came out like nine months after Left 4 Dead One, instead of being a uh, like DLC for the game. I saw, uh, I saw a lot of posts about the Steam controller. It's like I don't know, man. But I think that again, like they're in theory not trying to anger anyone by saying, "Hey, you know, we still love you if you use mouse and keyboard." To have that in their facts. They don't yeah, say that, that, but they say we're happy. You're happy. Um. Anyway, trying trying to move along because I I don't know like that that just upsets me. Um, not the controller, but just that whole discussion. Um, new from Campbell's, uh, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers: The Soup. What? Uh, ch it, it is chicken noodle soup, Campbell's soup with um six exciting shapes. Uh. Mario green shell, which just looks like a fucking pasta shell. So it's how do you know it's green or red? I mean, it's obviously not winged or spiked, but hey. <laughs> um, super mushroom, Goomba block, and fire flower. Wow. Um, I yeah. I'm excited about this. How have we not had this before? I don't exactly. know. Super Mario pasta, you know. Yeah, Chad, Chad you found the link to this and uh, the blog post that's talking about this. You know, the guy has, like, Pokemon pasta and Ninja Turtle pasta and Spider-Man pasta from, like, the old days of, of these things being a thing. 
So yeah, it, it does seem odd that it took this long for you know somebody and Nintendo to get together and say, you know, we need to move into uh, into the soup market. This really the, the pasta market. The pasta market. This really well, seems. Let's be honest, though. If they were going to do Mario themed, they should have contacted Chef Boardy for SpaghettiOs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Is that racist? You know what? Yes. <laughs> and I don't. So is Mario exactly? I, I mean, that seems a more natural combination than chicken noodle soup. Quite honestly, because I am not. I don't get excited about chicken noodle soup. Uh, if I'm, if I'm honest, but the re, but I think it's still awesome because that just immediately takes me back to when you could buy like Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda cereal. Yes, I imagine the shapes should be the same. Probably. Um, and but this opens up the this opens up the door because we need some Legend of Zelda soup, with little Triforces and and whatnot. Absolutely. And master swords and yes. uh, little fairies and uh, hearts. I don't know. Yeah, that um, that would be amazing. I would an, I would an definitely put down some money for some Legend of Zelda soup. Who wouldn't? Exactly. It's the money. soup that eats like a Hylian. <laughs> That's money in the bank. I don't eat a lot of soup. I'd have to switch to. Eating soup, and I don't I, know. With with one more Evangelion movie coming out, I still think there's time for uh, Chunky's primordial soup, the soup that eats like a person. Wow. That or, that, they've, that they've, or some merchandising deal with Tang. <laughs> they've licensed everything else for for Evangelion. Why? Why not? Here, they did that for the first. Uh, you know, there's a lot of product placement in the first two films. The third one, unless you count Yamaha's piano. Um, I don't think there was any in that movie because, God, that movie's fucked up. Um, so it'll be interesting. I don't, I don't think there'll be any any room uh, for anything that's not uh, uh, just downright depressing in that last movie, but we'll see. Mm. Um, oh, Last thing before we go on to uh, to our segmented segments, uh, segmented portion of the program. I don't know. That that was awkward. Um, did anyone else catch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, or was I the only one? I did. I did. What did you th- I forgot, totally forgot that it was on, and I'm sad about it. I've what did you it. think? What did you think of it, Dylan? Um, it was pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of hesitant, because it, it does have that feel of, like, um, if you've ever played like the Star Wars role-playing game or like Wheel of Time or, or Lord of the Rings, it's kind of like you guys have to be heroes, but you can't be too much because we all always have to kind of keep the real heroes off screen and you know oh. out of your way. But it could get it could get to that point. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with it. Um, well, it's one of those things where that's the line they have to walk because yeah. it's ex- it explicitly takes place in a post Avengers setting. Yes, you know they reference that right out of the gate. Um, so you can't, you know, obviously they can't be, you know, Thor or Iron Man. Well, not you know, only they, that, they just kind of have to like they can be involved but not too involved, and it. It, I, I'm saying there's kind of like two extremes they could go with it, I guess, but um, I, I generally liked it, and I, I like the different take on things. I've heard people describe it as a 
like an American Torchwood, and I've never really seen much Torchwood, but it does kind of remind me of like Warehouse 13, where you're like, Monster of the Week did something. Let's go investigate it. Just cool. Yeah, it it'll be interesting interesting to see what they do um, going forward. Uh, I liked it, but one episode I, I don't have too much to say about other than okay yeah that was cool agent colson is 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 still cool but yeah they're they're not gonna have robert downey jr on there every week yeah so you know we'll eh, we'll we'll keep an eye on it um let's see is chad did chad drop chad are you no here? i'm here okay awesome i just didn't have anything to say about the show because i didn't see it Right, right. That's fine. Um, Chad, you had um, Ollie try and get uh, Dylan back. You had I'm a here. question. Charlie. Charlie. Um, so sorry. Um, Chad, you had a question uh, that you want us to bring up, which was, um, is there anything that we're a fan of that we're ashamed to admit? Yep. So I I don't know. Does anyone have one that they want to just jump out with? I, I'm going to predict the answers here. Wait, wait, I'm going mean, to predict, predict the answers to this. It's the it's the uh, question of is there anything that you're ashamed to admit that you're a fan of? Hmm. And and John being absolutely shameless will say no. There's nothing that I'm ashamed to admit because I admit everything. He that's has no that's shame a factual no pride. That's a factual statement. Dylan. Dylan will shamefully admit that he follows Pitchfork's recommendations for music. Oh, holy crap. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say Pitchfork's, but that was close. <laughs> oh, wow. And Charlie will make a non-admission of his brony status. He is oh. not ashamed of that, I think. I'm not terribly ashamed. Dylan is, has tried his damnedest for quite a while to make me ashamed of it, but... He does that to everybody. You know, no, I've got something similar. I've got something, but but it's but it's highly situational because it hasn't been on TV for a little while. But well, go ahead. I actually really enjoyed re-watching uh, um, Gem and the Holograms <laughs> when when the Hub put it on at like six thirty in the morning. Whenever it was that I was getting up for work, they'd show like Gem and the Holograms and then I think Conan the Barbarian or Conan the Adventure. And and I actually really enjoyed watching Jim and the Holograms. I can I can I also amend my answer to I, I mean just because your prediction was very close. <laughs> Go ahead. It was actually um, pretty close for me too because it was the same. <laughs> he had he had the right he had the right theme but the wrong particulars. That, that would suggest we're not as ashamed. I think it's more that like as my musical tastes have developed from like childhood on. Um, well, for one thing, I've never been a fan of like really hard stuff, and my line as to what defines really hard stuff is very low. Not super low, not like, you know, soft rock station low, but um, that's it's still pretty low. That's always sort of weird. And also, I think for a number of reasons, yes, I have kind of crossed the line into like indie folk, indie rock, hipster music. But I, I think even no matter what I liked, even if I was like, you know, into Linkin Park as a teen or Metallica or something like that, 
I, it would always be a little weird for me because, um, and, and then and this is probably true of like when I was super into anime in the early two thousands. The shows that I got into was because um, music seems to be like a weirdly emotional thing. It may be different emotions, but I'm just not comfortable with that. With emotions, I, you, you know what I've found uh, about music um, as I've gotten older. I really fucking hate like ninety nine percent of all musical artists. I just, just like really fucking hate it. Not their no. music, just the artists. Yes, I, I I hate the artists and I hate their music. Ah, uh, I like, I think part of this is I don't watch TV. Like I don't watch network TV, so I don't really see The Voice or American Idol. I don't listen to like top forty radio. I, I when I listen to the radio at all, it's usually to like the independent station here. Which, the station is independent. It does not play nothing but independent music. I should throw that out there. It's not like, uh, you know, they existed before fedoras and scarves and skinny jeans were a thing. <laughs> Charlie listens to this station too, so I don't want to hear it. I do enjoy that station. I do not, but that's that's a difference in, oh, in opinion. They're independent. That's American. There's there's not a single radio station that's local that I that I can say that like yeah I'm gonna pick that station I'm gonna leave it on that station and that's what I'm gonna listen to it's like is there something that won't make me crazy okay no uh, I'm gonna put in a CD okay I'm tired of this I mean fair, I also fair enough, I really don't have that I really don't have that either where there's just one station I can turn it on and leave it although I do find myself cycling because the one that that Dylan's talking about is is very iffy around Athens for some reason. Like if you get sa- just a little bit south of Athens, it will usually come back in. But and and once you get north, that's when the signal's really good. But for some reason in 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 town, it's it's not always great. So I will cycle between it and honestly Chattanooga's NPR station, which actually has pretty generally pretty excellent taste in music. I think when uh, the slants, the manpower. And Eric Stewart stopped making music. I'm just going to listen to smooth jazz, and that's going to be it. And I'll be okay with well, that. Well, I see. And and Nuja Bass, even though he's dead. <laughs> that the the best the best musician we had is dead. See, I don't know. Cause now, like- now 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 Simon and Aaron are carrying the torch for music for me. And Chris, God bless you guys. Godspeed never stop. I can't so much speak to like the slants or the manpower, but like Eric Stewart band, I'm pretty sure Charlie and I could recommend you a lot of bands that kind of have the same flavor or sound. Here's the thing though, I wouldn't I wouldn't like them a hundred percent of why I like Eric Stewart's band is because of Eric Stewart. That's that's, uh, that's true. Because in my mind it's just gallery up there singing and God bless him for that. That that is that is not an unfair an unfair critique. Like, like that that is that is purely I'm a fan of of him as an actor and him as a human being, because um, he worked with us on anime fans yeah. and and I don't and, see and, I, and I, I definitely do not find issue with saying, you know I like the band but I but I actually like them even more because of who they are. I, yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with that as well. And honestly, if I, I kind of, I kind of would, would wonder what the music industry, the music landscape would look like if everybody were the same. That it wasn't just their their music had to be good, but 
Um, people's praise for them was also based partially on the type of person they were. That pop music would be very different. Yeah, pop music would be dead. Other, well, other genres, I'm not so sure, but pop music, as modern pop music as we know it, would just be a, a wasteland. I mean, it is wasteland. But you know what I mean? It's non-existent. Yes. As soon as you got hooked on the drugs, you'd be gone. Um. But but I wanted to point that out because it's not that I think Eric Stewart's music is bad, but it's not the kind of music I would go out of my way to listen to no, either. And so. I think that's really cool. Like I, that, that is one thing that when we saw him at Anime Blast Chattanooga, that Charlie and I were kind of like discussing was, it's really cool to see that style of music, which is probably more in the direction of some of the stuff we listen to. Yeah, it's 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 Being, I guess it could best be classified as Americana. Yeah, like, you know, and anime fans getting it super... Like, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and yeah, like, Bill Hogue and a couple, other a couple other people that I do really like. Yeah, like... You guys are making me feel like I have horrible taste in music. You, you do, Chad. Because it all depends on who you're around and who you're you know, talking here, Here's the thing, though. It's, it's your taste. And as long as you like it, who gives a rat's ass what I or anybody else thinks? That is, everyone has bad taste in music. Exactly. Er er everyone's opinions are, are like assholes. They all stink except for your own. You know, yours somehow smells better than everybody else's. I, I mean, I even, think that's... even the whole, like, I like everything except country and rap. Well, you know, there's, there's some rap and some country that is not horrible. Yes, like, the typical messages and lifestyles that are put... Country, <laughs> yes. Rap, I have yet to, I have yet to see that. Uh, I, there, again, uh, Rest in peace, Ninja Base. That's all I'm gonna say. I mean, you could okay. At least nerdcore. Have you have you heard any MC Front a lot? Yes, I have. That's too mainstream for Chad. That's too what, Don? That's too mainstream for Chad. People have heard of, it, of MC <laughs> Front a lot. I, it's I not like, so, it's not Celine Dion, it's so of, it's not ironic. It, it's more of unfortunately, I have heard it, and it's not Guar or something else that's offensive and terrible. So, Dad's probably <laughs> actually, not into it. It's not contrary, Lordy. Con contrary to uh, Dylan's assertions, I don't actually listen to Guar normally, or Lordy, which, for for which we are named after. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, speaking of Eric Stewart. Uh, I was going to bring this up anyway, but since we're talking about it now, um, I wanted to pimp out, talk about his Kickstarter. Um, they are trying to do their first music video for their band. Oh, cool. Um, they've got almost uh, 2500 of their $7,500 goal. Uh, they've got uh, a little less than four weeks left. So uh, go contribute to them. Like I said, they they have not been on the podcast proper, but they worked with us on Anime Fans Go Back to Japan. Um, we've talked to him before. Really nice guy. We've seen him in person. Um, so definitely support him. Um, and he lives in Tennessee now, so he's one of us. One of uh, us. Yes. Um, so I, I recommend you guys uh, donating, donating to that if you are able, uh, and we'll link to that uh, as as we want to do. Um, Chad, you actually have a, a name for your segment now, do you not? I believe we're going to call it the Dice Pile. It's your segment. You can call it where the hell you want. Um, if it's if it's really bad, though, I might bleep it out, and that's saying something. Indeed. I don't... You can dub in later. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that I might just bleep out the word dice, and then people be wondering what what it was he said that was so, so offensive. Hopefully we're, pile. hopefully we're only going to be talking about awesome stuff. I mean, cool stuff. I don't, I, I don't know really... about that, considering this week's question. Um, what what is this All week's right. question, Chad? The topic this week it's on on the topic of paper and dice RPGs. As everybody knows, system and setting they both have to work if you're going to have a good game. It's not necessarily required to have a game that you're having fun with, but a good game has to have both a good setting and system. So what what game, in your opinion, has the best marriage of system and setting? In other words, what system does the best, best job of reflecting the world that it's that the game is set in and it, mm. it doesn't have to be a good world there are ones out there that are are have a terrible system but it does an excellent job tying into the world and modeling it wow um do that do either of you guys have an answer offhand because if not i do go for it um i always liked um you know D and D does not have that strong of a of a marriage to system and setting because both have to be able to work with a, uh they're designed to be to work with just a whole litany of anything. Yeah, true. But seventh C, you know, you could you could say that that system could also sensibly work with other settings other than the one that it uses. But I always felt like it really worked for uh the type of you know, swashbuckling games that those were because of the way that the system worked. You know, it always seemed like when I was rolling the dice, I was always rolling the dice to do something really cool, which, you know, that's the whole point of that game to uh, some degree. So I always felt like um, it, it everything just worked really well. Well, you stole my answer. Good. Or one of them. I actually had, a, I, as as I, I, I do feel like it really does reflect that that kind of genre and the system itself, the way that it works, as far as the the leveling up in your school or your sorcery, whatever, it it does kind of reflect the way that swashbuckling genre works. It's not a kind of gradual increase. It's a a fairly drastic increase as you get these, you know mid-level or master abilities but the the use of the action point the use of the uh drama dice and action points is perfect because it does give the players a, a certain degree of control over at least when they fail which is really in fitting with the whole mimicking heroic movies and that kind of thing my my honorable mention for the best marriage of system and saying actually goes to one of the ones that I was talking about having a really shitty system that does an excellent job tying into the world. Okay. That would be the original Deadlands. Hmm. The original Deadlands has a shitty system. It's a uh, in terms of the attributes, it's a mess because it because your attributes are not only rated by the number of dice you roll, but by the type of dice, and it's it it gets really confusing and horrible trying to compare stats, for example, um, and 
in terms of the system itself, it makes it almost impossible for spellcasters and mad scientists to do their thing because they have to draw cards for it. But on the other hand, it does an excellent job tying into the setting because its version of action points are poker chips and um, and a lot of the advantages are colorfully named in keeping with the setting. And for spell casting and things like that, you actually draw poker hands. For those who don't know, Deadlands is, of course, the Weird West, so uh, that kind of poker ties in really well. But it's one of those things where tying into the world setting is actually a detriment to the system because not only do you have to draw, you have to, your chances of doing really well if you're their version of a spellcaster are really low because you have to get a good hand. Uh. And and their uh, fate chips, they call them, you draw them randomly out of the bowl and usually you get the only the moderately good kind that you can only use for, you know, one or two little things. And but if you draw a blue or red chip out of the pot, then that gives you a more advantage. So it kind of throws things off because not all of the action points are equal. Not all mm-hmm. of their version of action points or drama dice or whatever uh, force what was it? Force points in Star Wars, whatever you want to call it. Not all of them were equal, which kind of threw things off because it wasn't really fair. But the different types of poker chips ties perfectly into the world, but made for a shitty system. Hmm. And then of course, Brave New World took the system and made it even shittier. But that's <laughs> they made it even shittier. But uh, that's another story. So Dylan, Chad, did either you got or Charlie? I mean, yeah. Did either of you guys have a? Uh, I I have an answer, but it's not a. I didn't have like a a perfect answer. That Dylan, there is no perfect answer. Go ahead. Okay. Especially I, I, yours. I was I was tempted to say seventh C as well, just because of that's one that we played. Seven, but um, I'm gonna say Call of Cthulhu. Like I said, this is not a good, necessarily a perfect contrast of system and setting. Um, and in fact, it's a very ugly system. Um, Actually, I would argue the opposite. Well, hold on. That, a system that's managed to go unchanged for thirty years because it works. Well, but I, I wouldn't. Well, say the point it, of the game is to die horribly, so there's. That. I wouldn't well, say basic role is a good system. Basic role playing well, is a good system. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's it's ugly in some respects. Like at least the version of Call of Cthulhu I played, you had to have a separate table to make opposed skill checks. It does a lot of things that um, things like you know D and D since three point five and things like that have done little more easily, like, have, have negated the use of, of tables like that. And I don't even remember how the combat works, but it allows you to build it's a... It's all world... percent odd dice. Okay, I, I remember I'm mainly focused on skill. Cause and that's you... the, table, the table that you're talking about is really just, is actually just to, uh... is actually just, uh, basically for reference, because whenever you roll against an attribute in percentile, it's always the attribute times five. Wait. Oh, no, I'm talking about like where, uh, you know, one person has a skill, another person has a skill, right. and you look up the two skills and connect them. Yeah, that's... It's... It's, it's, it's not... It's, 
it's not it's not a bad system. It's definitely not a bad system for skills. And that, that's kind of kind of what I'm getting at because it allows you to build a normal modern everyday human being. Well, ironically enough, you know where the the system itself, the basic roleplay system, you know the first game that it was used for? No, what was it? RuneQuest. D&D's main competitor at one point, RuneQuest. And was really not suitable for the heroic fantasy genre. There's a reason that the only place that Chaosium tried to make it a generic system, they actually had in the first in the first editions of of both RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu, the system itself is a separate book. They tried to make it some into something resembling GURPS, and there's a reason it only it has really only survived in Call of Cthulhu because. because it's got kind of limited. It has certain strengths, and those strengths are not like typical for most games. Right, and it's perfect for that kind of low-powered street-level setting. Yeah, and and, and I, I I would argue that it is the perfect system for the setting. And yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like you could literally use that system to play a game where you ran a business. And because, because the Cthulhu universe isn't about being an epic hero, it's about being a normal person adapting to the world around you. Now John's going to try to prove you wrong by running a BESM game where it's you're owning a business in a style. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you could, I, I could seriously you do could that. in theory do that, but I'm saying like running a normal business, like you've got accounting, um, you know, the credits, credit value, which I think is basically how much people trust you. Credit rating, yeah. Yeah, you've got all these these different concepts that if you throw out Cthulhu Mythos and all the combat, you could just run everyday life. And again, that's that's, that's what the Cthulhu the universe is. You're just some guy. You're coming up against things you don't understand. And I, I like it. I like it especially because it's kind of a a good contrast to other games, where the the best stories out of them are typically triumphs. Whereas the best stories out of Cthulhu are usually on some level of tragedy. Like, you never win for good. It's, it's always like you've held off the inevitable. But anyway, that's, that's fine. All right. Charlie, did you have an answer? Um, yeah, I think so. Because Deadlands was actually a really good good choice and and any of this any of mine would be like more theoretical because i read a lot of rpg books that i never got to play um but deadlands deadlands is actually a good one i'm gonna go and this is yeah you could argue it either way i'm gonna go i think with mage the ascension uh the 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 earlier version of of mage from world of darkness uh Particularly because I like the whole, like, I mean, because the setting basically that um, all technology is magic, uh, that there are this group of wizards and, and magicians who have basically crafted magic to look like technology so it fools people. Because if you do something that looks completely supernatural, people's own sense of disbelief in the supernatural cause a rift in reality and basically existence itself tries to swallow the magic user that does that sort of thing. Um, and that this group of wizards has basically curated that over centuries to where their form of magic 
is completely acceptable because people don't understand that it's fantastic. Um, but I really like the, the whole magic system of you put dots in these sort of certain magical skills like fire, you know, elemental control or something like that. And, but there's no, there's no actual spells. The, the powers just sort of let you determine, you know, how much, how, what great, how great an effect you have on this certain type of thing. Um, so you basically make the spells up yourself, but there's this sort of, okay, I, Here's roughly what you can do. That's yeah. actually kind of that's actually really generic to storyteller in general. Every storyteller game does the same does the same basic thing. It's just the names the name of the fuel source and how you how well, you replenish your was, mana. Mage though was far more generic because I read quite a number of those books and Mage was by far the most generic in that, you know, here's just a thing that you can control. Good luck. But what I really loved in, in that was that you had to try to craft, you had to try to make it look mundane. Like there was, like you could choose to just shoot a fireball or, you know, shoot a bolt. I think the example from one of the books actually. But the paradox was, is going to kill you. Yeah, you can just choose to shoot a lightning bolt from your fingertips to, to destroy your enemy, sure. Or you can use magic to make, uh, to eat through this telephone pole such that it looks like, oh, it's termite damage that makes the pole fall over, snap wire, and the wire happens to hit your opponent and electrocute him. <laughs> These are the same thing. These are the same spell, but if you do it one way and people and you see it, their own disbelief in magic will cause the paradox and existence itself will try to eat you. What, 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 if, you, what if you kill the only witness? Good point. <laughs> but, but I did like the sort of this is how magic works now versus and then it, the how system gives you this ability to sort of make these choices and craft certain things um to try to get around the limitations in the in the system i i, I thought it worked again i never got to play it but at least so i don't know how it worked in 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 practice but in theory the the world and the system kind of went together pretty well all right well, that's, I suppose, it for the uh, the explosive pile <laughs> this week. Oh, um, my. <clears throat> Dylan, did you, uh, did you have a segment for us this week? No. No? Okay, that's fine. Because he's too um, busy going to conventions that we can't yeah, go to. I'll let it slide this time. Um, I, as promised, um, I did have my segment this uh, for this week ready. Um, there is a accompanying video um, that I'll post on the site, and it's on our YouTube channel um, that you guys can check out. And what I talk about this week uh, in my thing of the week, as I'm calling it, um, is Sony's push for free-to-play gaming, um, both with PS3, Vita, and, of course, PS4 coming up. Um, they announced... Last week at Tokyo Game Show, one of the, the announcements was that Capcom's PS4 exclusive RPG Deep Down was going to be free to play. Hmm. Um, and it, it was kind of one of those moments where everybody goes, wait, really? But it's also not terribly surprising because Sony's made this big push for uh, indie developers and free to play games as a way to distinguish itself in the market from... Uh, 
Xbox One because as far as your major developers go, you know, if you develop a game, you want to get it on as many platforms as is feasible. Um, so you can make as much money as you can because development costs are high and things like that. Um, so, you know, you're going to get Call of Duty on all your platforms. You're going to get Grand Theft Auto on, on, you know, Xbox and PS4. Um, but they have to do something to, you know, make their library a little bit different. And that seems to be the way that they're going. Um, but already, you know, Sony has a fairly strong free-to-play presence on their online store. But, you know, I, they've done it kind of quietly. Like, I, I don't know that I've seen a lot of press about it. Um, I specifically focus on um, a couple of uh, games, not surprising to anybody, uh, they're free-to-play fighting games. Um, Dead or Alive 5 uh, has a free-to-play version, um, as and there's a free-to-play version of Tekken. Hmm. And those games take different approaches in the free-to-play model, because free-to-play has been around for a while, but mostly it's been... You know, MMOs or mobile games and, yeah. and things of that nature. Um, the Dead or Alive free-to-play game um, gives you pretty much unrestricted access to every mode except for story mode. So you can go into training, you can play as many online games as you want, you can play arcade mode, you can play local versus. Um, but there's only four characters play playable to begin with, and at least for the first few weeks they've had two additional characters that they've rotated out uh, in the cast that are playable. Um, but the, the so-called core fighters are Ayane, Kasumi, uh, Ryu Hayabusa, and Hayato. Um, and then the others you can purchase for like four bucks a pop or something. And that's kind of their model. It's like there's a $40 version of this game that you can buy on the shelves or buy digitally. Um, or, you know, if you don't want to go that far, or if you bought the first version, because this is Dead or Alive 5 Ultimate, which is, you know, some sort of marginal upgrade update, could have been done in a patch kind of deal. Um, it's like, if, if you're pissed off about us, you know, releasing a whole other game instead of doing, you know, some DLC, uh, you can just purchase the new characters you want and play those and not bother with anything else. So, you mm. know, you could pay... You know, maybe eight or twelve bucks, and have an updated version. Uh, you know, with just the characters that you're interested in playing, or you can stick to the free characters, whatever you want to do. But the thing that is interesting, the reason I bring it up is that you know, while I while I talk about them a lot because those are games that I enjoy, fighting games in general are more on the niche side. They're not, you know, they're not man, they're not Call of Duty, they're not Grand Theft Auto. Not everybody knows about them and plays them. But if you're Joe Schmo. And it's like, yeah, I vaguely recognize the name, but I don't play fighting games. But it's free, so I may as well download it. Yep. You know, if you end up spending $5 on it, um, that's $5 that they would have never have gotten from you otherwise. Because your mentality was, well, I'm no good at them. I'm not going to spend, you know, $40, $50, $60 on a fighting game when I know I'm just going to get my ass handed to me and get tired of it. But you'll play one for free. You know, and you might spend a couple of dollars on something if if something, you know, catches your interest. So it's an interesting model. Um, but what do you guys think as far as, you know, the console market? What do you guys think about free-to-play and how do you see that working out? Dylan, go! Okay. 
I, I think that can work out really well. And I, I think um, I, I think a lot of the problem is there is there are good ways to do free to play, and there are really evil ways to do free to play. And I think a lot of times you think of um, like Farmville or Candy Crush as being the really evil ways to do free to play, but like. I've tried uh, League of Legends here this past few weeks, and it kind of does the same thing. Like, you can't you you gain um, essentially like talent points and rune slots that you can equip runes to as you keep playing the game. You can only buy rune new runes with uh, points you gain um, playing the game. So it it isn't sitting there begging you to keep putting money into it, but hey, if you want to unlock that champion you played because it's going to rotate out next week, you know, you can do it. So I, I think, like, fighting games are a perfect way to do that. You know, the character prices may be kind of high, um, like with League of Legends, worst case scenario, but, you know, if you enjoy it, throw a couple bucks the developer's way and, you know, so long as they're not constantly bugging you and um, using that pay mechanic as a way to get ahead. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I do like the, the model for free-to-play that Duro Live 5 Ultimate uses. Um, Tekken Revolution uses a different model. You get access to all the characters but in order to play the game, it has a token system, kind of, you know, basically the equivalent of arcade tokens, mm-hmm. and they replenish like at a fixed rate. Like after thirty minutes or an hour, you'll get a token, um, but you only get you know like seven or eight tokens to play with at any one time. So you might play for thirty, forty-five minutes, um, but then you're out of tokens. And if you want to play more, you either have to wait or you have to buy more. That. That uh, seems more towards the evil Farmville sort of model. A little or, bit. Or, Which but, sounds like it's the way it's going to go. Well, not necessarily. It, it depends on, on what the, the outcome is. You know, how are people playing Dead or Alive 5 or um, League of Legends versus, you know, how profitable is Tekken or Farmville? And, yeah, if, if you don't want to see that type of... of uh, situation don't support it you know don't don't pay yeah. the extra money to buy tokens just go and play something else until that's what i do i just play something else until my tokens replenish and by the same token in in something like <laughs> Dead or Alive five throw them five or ten bucks you know right I, I have not dropped a dollar on league of legends i don't need to but you know at some point i may decide to just because eh, it seems like the right thing to do League of Legends is where fighting game players go to die. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying like, that's my no, experience I'm, with... No, I understand, and I'm sure it's a fine game, and we've had guests on this show that are in that game, and that's fine, support it. I'm just saying that in the fighting game community, that's where they go to die. They go start playing League of Legends and try and uh, chase that eSports money. Eh. I, I like it because it's kind of a... I, I don't have any designs on it, but it's like... It kind of combines some of the, the, the mechanics of World of Warcraft, like or Diablo fighting, with the um, self-contained um, game structure of, like, StarCraft, because it ends and you don't 
grind for new gear <laughs> so you can grind for new gear. Uh, shout outs to World of Warcraft. Um, anyway, I, I think that'll do it for uh, the thing of the week. Um, like I said, check out the video. Um, I talk more about it. Um, or don't. Whatever. It's fine. Um, time for our manager specials. Um, Chad, do you want to start us off? I'm going to go ahead and recommend a site that we mentioned earlier with the Super Mario soup. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dinosaur Dracula is a horrible looking but fun site. Um, it's run by the guy who used to do X Entertainment until he basically decided that fixing up the original site was going to be more work than just starting over. Right now he's in the middle of his Halloween countdown, which is two months of daily blog posts about Halloween-related merchandise. Um, candy, special edition foods, decorations, you name it. Documenting trips to Kmart. The stuff that we would do if we had more time. Uh, the stuff that you would do if you actually wrote posts for the side anymore. Oh. Calling you out. Oh, that's it's on. Not or really. Not. Oh. Um, Charlie, how about you? Um, I have two. First one is Purple Potato Kit Kat. What the what hell the, are you talking about? It, it is that's what I that is what I understood the name to be. Um, but one of the one of the panels we went to uh, was was the history of Japanese sweets, and one of and and one of the things they talked about were Kit Kat, and that there's the Kit Kat's made two hundred different flavors in Japan. Oh yeah, over the years, Japan loves their loves their uh, special edition. Uh, allow me, allow me to introduce you to the two uh, flavors of Kit Kat you need to know about: milk chocolate and white chocolate. That's it. That's the list. Thank you and good night. No, no. Pur purple potato is is awesome. I, they they had. <laughs> I didn't try all the. They had like four different. They brought four different flavors with them: chili pepper, wasabi. Oh my god! Cherry blossom and purple potato. And the only one that was left when I got up there was purple potato. So I took it. And it tastes brilliant. So that, that that is my first one, and my second recommendation is friendship. So, wow, get, get, get you some of that. Get you some of that. <laughs> I will not. Thank you. If you're listening, get you some friendship. All right, Dylan. Speaking wow. of friendship, what what are your recommendations? Speaking of friendship, we're friends, aren't we? Yes. Okay then. Oh, this is going to to go back. Um, I've been uh, I've got a huge backlog of books, uh, but I finally finished uh, that hideous strength, which is the last book in C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. It barely. I thought the same thing because it's really long. It was really hard to get into it first, and it only barely connects to the first two books, which are very much space fantasy. Greek mythology mixed with uh, medieval cosmology mixed with uh, Christian theology mixed with space. Um, but it is, the, it, is, um, it is the story of godless super scientists uh, consorting with demons attempting to raise Arthur and a man who uh, witnessed the birth of civilization on Venus um, and is the heart. heir to the uh, Pendragon uh, title 
who has a uh, cast of uh, characters and a bear um, trying to oppose Name him. Bite? No. Name Mr. Bultitude. Mr. Bultitude. Yes. That's, that's pretty amazing. That might be the best bear name ever. <laughs> it it does seem like a Charlie thing. It it it. I, I don't know. I, I kind of it's kind of British, in that the 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 bad guys are obviously cartoonish supervillains, but they aren't so much mustache twirlingly evil, as they'll just um like manipulate you with vagueness into staying in their conspiracy. I hate being manipulated by my vagueness. No, I mean, you you could leave, but you know the deputy director would be very angry at you if you did. <laughs> I, I would hate to upset kidding. the deputy director. I thought it, I thought it was kind of goofy, but it, towards the end, it's like, this is actually getting, like, very uh, engaging. Just like Charlie. Just like Charlie. All right, Stick then. with me. I get engaging. I and you agree. enjoy bears. By the way, uh, I have a second recommendation, which is uh, third floor bears. That's a Kentucky Route Zero <laughs> reference. But it's okay. I thought it was a reference to Exit Ravenloft. Actually, Kentucky Route Zero is kind of like Ravenloft. Okay. I'm not even joking. Uh, I'll I'll take your word for it. You can it. check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Uh, anyway, speaking of leaving, uh, let's let's go ahead and give this last recommendation. Um, I am going to pimp out uh, our good friend Nico's uh, sites. Um, Cinegeek merged with Cult Culture Smash, so now you just go to Culture Smash's uh, site, but Nico is a contributor there. Um, I'll post the link. And also as a blog, uh, 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 I'll post the link to that as well, but uh, I'm going to pimp out Nico this week. <laughs> GMX is coming up, so I want to be on his good side. <laughs> also, let's pimp out GMX while we're at it, and uh, Anime Blast Chattanooga, those are coming up. Those are coming up. They have been pimped. Yep. Should we pimp out so the other we cons all. we've been to? Uh, Momocon, um, MTAC, Hamacon. No, we'll do, we'll do those Con. as they come. We'll do those as they come up. Yeah. So we can you know, so fresh, fresh post links. They are. They are. But we're going to save it so you know they get their own special, unique time. Exactly. And and that's why my recommendations are always you know pimping out friends of the podcast and stuff. So, um. Well, is is that is there anything else? No, we've gone through a lot. Yeah, that's we're, we're running on a little over an hour and a half now. So, um, thanks everybody for joining us, and uh, tune in next week when uh, I I don't know. We'll hear oh. Dylan say, "I'll buy that I, for I a dollar." <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we doing are we really doing John Boy and Billy? No. Wasn't that a John Boy and Billy sketch? I don't Or bit at the end, like I, I think they did at one point, but at least your nice callback to our Twitter conversation earlier in the week. I don't even remember what our I have I have gone to a con since then. It it was the uh 
80s, 70s, 80s retro futurism, and I got trolled oh, by yes. the, uh, I'd buy that for a dollar bot because I'm yes. in shop. <laughs> that, is, that, is a, that is a setting you need to work up. Yes, it is. But And, uh, go ahead. But go ahead and, uh... Yeah, I was just gonna say one other thing, guys. Uh, make sure everybody on Wednesday, uh, tweet at Dylan Wolf and wish him a happy birthday. Thanks for listening, everybody.